looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Tuesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we're going to do something a little bit different here on Drive Time. I'm going to welcome in my colleague, my friend, my Sunday night recap co-host on Drive Time, John Kinjemi here on the podcast. And we're going to take a look comprehensively in-depth at the offseason. I'm going to pitch a kind of position-by-position off-season plan idea to John. He's going to critique it, add his thoughts, add his ideas. Going to be a lot of fun here. All of that and more on this Tuesday, March the 9th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And normally we start the podcast here with the news of the day or the most relevant Dolphins topics, but we're going to go ahead and push that towards the end of the podcast. I do want to get this out there that my wife and I found a potential house we might look into purchasing in the South Florida area. Very exciting news for us as a family as we kind of get ready to make that pilgrimage, make that move down to South Florida from the Northwest. I'm itching to get down there and get back to the to the nicer weather, the South Florida weather, and, and be there with you guys this winter and spring and come to you from South Florida opposed to the Northwest where I'm recording these podcasts right now during the off season. But I don't want to waste any more time on the podcast here. I want to jump right into my guest. You guys know him. He did the podcast every Sunday night with me here recapping the Dolphins game that we had just watched together, you know, two or three hours prior to that. Let's go ahead and welcome in from MiamiDolphins.com, the Audible podcast, John Kinjemi. And joining me once again, I think for the first time since we spoke in December after the Buffalo game or the Las Vegas game, one of the games towards the end of the season, is John Kinjemi, the co-host of the Audible podcast. John, how you been, man? I'm doing okay, Travis. Uh, I'm braving it down here in South Florida with this <laughs> tough weather that we've been having. It's about 82 degrees, and um, it's been nice, but uh, everything is going well. Um, kind of getting excited for free agency in the draft and seeing where the Dolphins are going to end up. I mean, after a 10-win season, it was kind of exciting uh, going into the offseason thinking that this team, you know, the next step is the playoffs, and we were we were very close last season, but that's where this mindset needs to be uh, going into the offseason in terms of who you select, how wisely you spend your money, and how, how can you make this team a better team? How can you make it 11 or 12 or 13 win football team? So that's kind of what I've been kicking around down here. And that's what we're going to do on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And, you know, you mentioned 10 wins close to the postseason I mean, there's games, the Patriots game to start the season, the Buffalo game in week two, maybe that Seahawks game in week four, where, you know, two or three plays go a different direction. All of a sudden, this is an 11-win football team, and we're playing that January football. Now, I know we played a game in January, but January to mean playoff football. And that's what we're going to try to do here, try to find that 11th, 12th win for this team and get them into the postseason. And, you know, you talk about the exercise of going through free agency. Like one of my favorite stories I tell about myself, John, as a, a lifelong Dolphins fan. In 2003, I went to a Dolphins-Eagles game, Monday Night Football. It was week 15. They needed a win to keep themselves alive, and they lost. And on the plane ride home, I had a little notebook and spent the entire plane ride writing up how I thought they could get better and where these free agents they could sign would make the team better. So this is something I've been doing for like 
17 years now for my own, like just for fun. So it's, it's cool to do it here on a podcast and talk to an expert like yourself. Before we get into that, you mentioned 82 degrees. I have to imagine the handicap's getting better, right? Well, the handicap, it, it's all depends on what better is. Um, <laughs> there's been one too many balls going in the water or a sand trap, but I have been trying hard. That's for sure. <laughs> Try hard's all you can do. I'm looking forward to getting down there to, to get a chance to get back on the golf course and, and get things going year round. But again, that's not why you guys are here. We're talking football on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And we wanted to kind of start here, speaking of improving your golf game, with areas the Dolphins excelled at. What are some things this Dolphins team can build upon and really feel good about, like this is what we do well and we, we can trust this going forward. I'll go ahead and start with you, John. What's an area you thought the Dolphins just absolutely nailed down this year and you feel confident going into 2021 that that's going to be a staple of this, of this franchise going forward? Well, I'm going to start on the defensive side of the football because that's where the Dolphins started in free agency last year. They wanted to improve this football team. They needed to get better on defense, and they did. I, I thought creating a pass rush and creating turnovers was probably, if you looked at uh, statistics and you just watched the Dolphins play defense, that's where they improved the most for me. I, I thought they created an edge presence. They were able to make quarterbacks feel uncomfortable. And on top of that, they were able to generate turnovers. They were able to generate sacks and strip sacks and forced fumbles and scoop and score opportunities. Uh, and all those things add up to victories for the Miami Dolphins last season. Uh, I think the biggest thing they got their hands on the football, obviously the 18 interceptions as a team. I think they were uh, north of 30 on sacks as a team. But the forced fumbles, they had, I think they had 17 forced fumbles. This is a team that generated uh, excitement and generated points on defense. So for me, Travis, I thought, you know, Emmanuel Ogba with close to 10 sacks, I thought Van Ginkle in his second year was tremendous. I thought Jerome Baker roamed the football field terrifically. Uh, I thought guys like Zach Sealer, uh, Raquan Davis, that you didn't think maybe would have a big role, had a big role on this football team. And it just helped. It helped the depth in the secondary. Uh, that pass rush and that constant front seven pressure really allowed the defensive backs to roam free and make plays. So, for me on defense, that was probably the biggest place where the Dolphins excelled uh, th that I noticed. Yeah, you touched on the two areas that I really wanted to focus on in this segment, and that was kind of shaping this defense to what Brian Flores and Josh Boyer's ideal vision is, right? Because you go back to you know his time in New England, and they always had really strong secondaries, and they were more willing to part ways with players that maybe price themselves out of their market in the front seven and put those resources into the secondary. And we saw that this year. We saw Bobby McCain's on a, on a veteran contract. Eric Rowe got a new contract extension. Xavier Howard, when he got paid, was the highest paid cornerback in the National Football League. And then when Byron Jones comes back and gets his contract, he is now that. So you put those resources into the secondary. And like you mentioned, I mean, that was the crux of why this defense was able to caused that hesitation by opposing quarterbacks, able to create situations where the ball was put into harm's way and they found a way to really, really capitalize on it. And then you mentioned like Zach Sealer, for instance, and Andrew Van Ginkle, these guys that are waiver wire claims the year before, a guy that's a fifth round draft pick the previous year. These guys grew and developed into not just like quality contributors, but guys that you put on the football field and you're like, I feel great about him being in that role. And so it makes me wonder, 
what happens in year two to Brandon Jones, Raekwon Davis, to Austin Jackson, Rob Hunt, and um, shoot uh, Solomon Kinley on the offensive side of the football. So those are the two areas I'm really excited about. The way they shape the defense around Flores's vision, and the way they were able to grow and develop young players, and what that what that means, you know, going forward for this team. But that also means, you know, we talked about the ten wins, six losses that there are some areas they can get better in. And Chris Greer and Brian Flores addressed that in their postseason press conferences. If you had to pick one area you think that they can really have an opportunity to get over the hump, to get the 11, 12, 13 wins, what do you think that might be? That's on the other side of the football for me, Travis. And it's creating explosive plays in the running game and in the passing game. They need to be able to stretch the football field and have dynamic players when they catch a 12-yard curl or a a 12-yard crossing route, they're going to be able to go 45 yards down the sidelines. And that takes 11 players. It doesn't just take that player catching the football. But I think finding those explosive runs to take some pressure off of the passing game and finding some consistency up front, I think that, you know, when you take a look at Andrew Van Ginkle on defense, that jump he made from year one to year two, Christian Wilkins, the jump he made as a rookie going into his second year, I think that needs to happen on the offensive line. You mentioned the guys up front, and we all know, you know rookies playing offensive line doesn't always bode well. It doesn't always equal 10 wins. Uh, but those guys did their part, and I think that they're going to get better. As they get better, I think this offense is going to improve dramatically because I think that's where you get the extra half second or second to throw the football, that extra crease that the running back needs to get to the back end of that hole and get into the secondary where you can make one guy miss and you get that 25 to 35 yard play that cuts that field in half. So for me on offense, that's where this team needs to go. They need to focus on getting players, getting more players that can get the explosive play on a, just a harmless curl route or a harmless now pattern on the outside where you get the ball in space, you make a guy miss. And now you're, you're feeling like you don't need those extra three first downs to get into the red zone or get into scoring position. you got to play perfect offense, right? And that's so challenging to do in a day and age like today where we talk about the Dolphins defense that's so that's so hyper-focused on getting takeaways and putting pressure on the quarterback that if you're going to have a 12-play drive, the chances are you're going to make a mistake at some point. So create those big explosive plays to get your offense into the end zone before the defense has a chance to make big, their big play. And I agree completely with your thought there about you know adding explosive elements to the offense. But I want to kind of put you on the spot here for a second, John, because you mentioned something that I think is a very, you know, very important aspect of this team in those those rookie offensive linemen going into their second year. So when it comes to playing offensive line, I mean, there's a lot that these guys got to pick up and handle, whether it's the protection calls, dealing with the fact that you have to face pass rushers like, you know, the Miles Garretts and the Nick Boses of the world, opposed to being in college in the Pac-12 where you're facing guys that are not those guys. What's the what's the big thing that can occur for a second-year offensive lineman that can allow him to make that jump? Is it is it more of the mental part of the game, the physical part of the game? What aspects of Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, and Austin Jackson can we expect to see growth in here in year number two? Leverage. I think that's the biggest thing for an offensive lineman in his growth, knowing how to use his power, knowing how to use his feet, and knowing how to use his leverage. Sometimes I think Solomon Kinley on the inside would get so excited that, you know, he's he's missing his opportunity to use that big body because he's so excited to to try to get off the line of scrimmage where all he has to do is position that that wall of a man in a certain way and then use that leverage 
and be able to give the running back a crease and not kind of do it all with brute strength. So I, I think that, you know, a guy like Jackson on the edge or, or Robert Hunt, who I thought did a pretty good job at right tackle. He was thrown into a very difficult situation when Jesse Davis was dinged up there and, and went in and played really well. So I think having that year under their belt in terms of knowing how to use their feet, knowing how to use their hand placement and knowing how to use their leverage is going to take a little bit more pressure off or the question mark that unknown an offensive lineman goes into a game as a rookie, not knowing if his strength is going to be good enough. Well, if he's got good leverage and good feet and, and applying that weight and, and pressure in the right way, he's going to probably bypass the first three question marks he had going into that game. So for me, I'd like to see those young guys play with confidence, but play with better leverage to give the other guys, the running backs and the quarterback, a little bit clearer picture of what they need to do with their job. To me, the most important word in football is leverage. I, I love that. And Austin Jackson talked about that all the time in his press availabilities this year, too. So smart kid, young kid. We can see him apply that stuff and get better as he goes along, as well as the other rookies there along that offensive line. I'm going to go ahead and add one more, we'll call it an area of opportunity. And we talk about that defense. Like, how can this you know, top of the league and takeaways, third down defense, and, you know, enter week 17, the number one scoring defense, how can they get even better? My first thought was finding a, a way to get more pressure with your front four, because some of the elite level quarterbacks, like a Patrick Mahomes or a Russell Wilson, when you, you know, you send those blitzes, they can find ways to beat that. So to be able to be more multiple and more flexible with how you create pressure with maybe just your front four is my other area of opportunity to kind of get away from the idea that you talked about the explosive element of the offense. So just some ideas there from John and myself. And what we want to do now is play a game where I had kind of went through some positions that I think the Dolphins could stand to add some bodies at. And, you know, it's most of the positions across the football because you're always looking to improve the entire roster. And then John's going to tell us where we think we can get, you know, whether he agrees, disagrees, and some areas of opportunity in those spots. So, John, are you ready to kick this thing off? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it, Travis. All right, perfect. So I just want to go ahead and put this disclaimer out here. A couple of disclaimers, actually. First, this is our opinion. This does not reflect the opinion of the football team. Just me and John talking some ball here. And number two, this is not a list of the best players at each position in terms of their free agent grade or draft grade. This is accounting for what the possible resource might be required to acquire that player. You know, you talk about premium resources. Let's say, let's say the Dolphins do sign two top tier free agents, like top contract Byron Jones level free agents, and they have four picks in the top 50. That would be six premium resources. Then you have your tier two and your mid round pick guys, or your kind of secondary resources and so forth and so on. So keep that in mind. And we'll start at the quarterback position where we know who the starting quarterback is. Tua Tungavailoa signed, sealed, delivered, 23 years old, heading into his second season and gives the Dolphins the benefit of that quarterback on the rookie contract. So I was kind of trying to figure out, do we need to find a veteran that can kind of come in and play that Ryan Fitzpatrick role? Or do you draft and develop a guy? So I put my two names, one free agent, one draft. The quarterback I chose was Kyle Allen, who is an unrestricted free agent. And the reason I have him in there, John, is because he played in the air raid in college. And to me, some of those principles are transferable to the quick game that we want to run under Tua Tungavailoa. See it, let it rip, and get the ball into the explosive playmaker's hands like you mentioned. So that's my free agent option. And then my draft options on day three, and I, maybe he'll go day two, I don't know. But it's Texas A&M's Kellen Mond, just because I think the physical traits are so unique and he can be a, an added element to your running game as well at that quarterback position. So Kyle Allen, Kellen Mond, what are your thoughts? 
Well, obviously with Mond, I like what he brings, his skill set. You know, he played at a, in an SEC school, and, and you're always under tough defensive pressure, I would think, you know, no matter what level uh, you're playing at, what team you're playing at. So I like the way he plays the position. I like his arm strength. I like his elusiveness. I like his decisiveness. Um, I'm not so sure how we're going to go free agency. And I'm going to throw this out there because I was thinking about, you know, coming up with a name and, and I kept coming back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the only reason I say that is because if you're, if you're Brian Flores and you, your main job in the off season is to try to make, how can I, how can I make a situation? How can I create an environment that I can get the best football out of Tua Tungavailoa? How do I make him improve so that we're not looking for – he's not looking over his shoulder, number one. He's got to be the guy, and he's got to go play. But you need to have somebody – you still need to win football games, and you still need to turn to someone that you have confidence in. If I'm if I'm Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't know if the grass is always greener going out and trying to be the starter somewhere else. Now, granted, the dollars would be great, and I'm sure he's looking for that opportunity. But his the, the way he's – the way he's progressed through his long veteran career is not the way Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or any of the elite quarterbacks have. This guy's gotten beaten up. This guy's run a lot more than maybe some of those elite quarterbacks. So I think there's a little bit more tread on the tires if you're looking at another team taking a peek at Fitzpatrick as a starter. I think the ideal situation is him coming in as a backup, as a guy that can go in and play. So if I'm Brian Flores, I need to find a guy that I have extreme confidence in that if I need to turn to him, he's going to come in and win a football game or two. At least I believe he's going to. And I'm not going to uh, put Tua Tungavailoa in a shell uh, for two or three weeks until he gets his next opportunity. So I'm still not I'm still not uh, a seller when it comes to Ryan Fitzpatrick, only because this team needs to have somebody that can win and win in multiple weeks. And he's the guy for me that I, I just wouldn't erase right away. Yeah. To me, he was the, the best luxury this team had this season. When I say luxury, I mean, most teams don't have a quarterback that if your starter goes down, you feel like you like exactly like you mentioned, you feel confident he can come off the bench and win that game and maybe even start the next week and win that game as well, just as Fitz did against the Jets this year at the Jets. But the thing that I point back to John is, and Fitz has talked about this so much, and I agree with you because he's such a great guy. If he's not back, I'm going to miss running into him in the kitchen and having him, you know, rip on me, you know, kind of have some fun with me at my expense. It was a great time. He's such a great guy to be around. But the thing that I always point to is he talks so much about how much he loves to play the game. He's not he's not here to be that mentor, to be that coach. Like, I see the assumption on Twitter all the time, like, just have him come in and be the quarterback's coach. Are you sure that's what he wants to do? I, I think he loves to play the game. So it makes me wonder if he, like you mentioned, might go chase the the opportunity somewhere else to start. Yeah, I just I just don't know if there's a you know, there's 32 jobs out there. And when he was signed with the Miami Dolphins, he was happy because one of those were his. You know, that was his job, you know, as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. And now when you go out in last year's draft and and to a plays and he plays pretty well for the most part, you know, I just I'd like to see. I know in the room right now uh, in in Davey, the biggest concern for this coaching staff and the biggest concern going into the free agency and for the draft, how do we make this team better? How do we make Tua Tungavailoa better and more comfortable to be able to be our leader on offense and, and for him not to look over his shoulder? 
that's the biggest concern, I think, going into the 2021 season. And it makes that backup quarterback position so intriguing as we get closer to the free agency period. And one of the old adages, John, maybe it's not as true as it used to be. Maybe it is. Maybe you can tell me you agree or disagree. To, to get your young quarterback to a higher level of confidence and to get more production is to help him in the backfield. And, you know, this running back crop, both in free agency and the draft, is so loaded at the top that there are so many options you can pursue if you choose to do so. And I want to go ahead and pitch this point to you first before I talk about names as we continue this discussion here. You know, the, the talk about an Aaron Jones, for instance, from Green Bay, the free agent or the, the free agent to be running back who's produced big time numbers, great yards per carry average, great third down back, whatever you want from Aaron Jones. He's been that in Green Bay. And I see the idea, don't pay a running back a second contract. Don't overpay the running back position. But my thought process is kind of, well, premium money at running back is cheap at almost every other position. Like if you're going to give premium running back money $10 million, that's a cheap receiver. That's a very cheap pass rusher. That's a criminally cheap quarterback. Do you agree with that? Like as far as how you approach the running back position, is there a limit on what you're willing to spend? And how do you kind of approach that, the, you know, addressing the running back position here for the Dolphins? I agree with you, Travis, uh, to the point of depending on where each team is in their cap space. If they have that luxury that, you know, 8 million, 7 million, 6 million on a running back 10, whatever that is, you're right about the position because you don't have to really overspend. Uh, and even in the second contract, you're still going to be around those numbers. So I, I agree with you to that point. I think the Miami Dolphins in, in this draft or in free agency, I, I'd rather see it in the draft, to be quite honest with you, because that number drastically uh, yeah. gets smaller. And, and the quality might get better. It might be even. I wouldn't say better. I would say even. Because if you're going to rate guys coming out of, out of college, and you know we're talking about uh, Najee Harris and we're talking about Travis Etienne, those are the two guys for me. The Dolphins you know, should be, have a big circle around that 18th draft yeah. choice if they stay there. It, that number 18 has got to be a running back. Because last year, remember, at 26, when they traded out to get Igbenogany, I believe at 31 or 30 or 32, wherever it ended up being, that was a running back spot for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the Dolphins are going to make that mistake again. I think they can add to what they have on this roster because I think they're they're pretty good shape uh, in this roster, uh, on this roster at running back, the top two guys that uh, really did a really good job last year of catching the football, you know, yards after contact. I, I like everything that – uh, you know, those guys did, but I still think you need, you need someone that's going to carry the load. You need someone that's going to be the number one. And I think that's in the draft this year. I don't, I don't see the dolphins going in free agency there, but they could because of, the, because of your point, the number isn't exaggerated when it comes to running backs. Yeah. You mentioned the, the carry the load running back. You look at the the history of Brian Flores here in Miami and the way they've utilized running backs if a guy is starting the game, he probably plays 75%, 80% of the snap. So that seems to be kind of, you know, the same frame of mind as far as the coaching staff has. And you said two names, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. And I'm going to go ahead and add Javante Williams from North Carolina because this guy, 220 no. pounds, his feet 
don't look like that of a 220-pound guy. And John, I did some research because I was curious to find out what kind of running backs has Eric Studisville had in his tenure as the, uh, the Buffalo Bills running backs coach, the Denver Broncos running backs coach. And I went back and looked, and it was Willis McGahee. It was Marshawn Lynch. It was Sean Marino. It was all these 220-plus pound guys. And that's not Travis Etienne, that's Najee Harris, that's Devontae Williams, two guys that can contribute to the passing game that are big loads, tough to bring down. But then I also look at the list of, you know, I think it was Rap Sheet had tweeted out about the possible offensive coordinator candidates, and Tony Elliott from Clemson was on that list, and Travis Etienne, that kind of wide zone speedster that can hit home runs from, you know, any play, any spot on the field has me interested too. So you talk about that 18th pick. I put all three of those guys right there, and that's my resource I'm allocating towards the running back position. 18th pick, Najee, Etienne, Javante Williams, I think they're all great. Yeah, and to your point, Travis, you know, with Ahmed and and the way Gaskin, what they give you, it's enough, but if you really want to improve the quarterback, if you really want to get those explosive plays, if you really want to keep everybody fresh, it's going into the draft and, and selecting somebody at that spot at 18 that fits the mold, whether that's Williams, whether that's Harris, or whether that's Etienne, it's got to be somebody uh, that that changes the dynamic of that room, that changes the dynamic of those explosive plays, and that can play all three downs. And, and I think all three of those guys that we talked about uh, absolutely can do that. And we move into another skill position here, talking about ways we can improve this Miami Dolphins roster and using the draft picks and free agent capital to make that happen. And I think the position that everyone's kind of talking about right now is the wide receiver spot. You look at that third pick in the draft, There are there are three guys that... I've seen mocked to the Dolphins in that position. There's a tight end I've seen mocked in that position to the Dolphins. But I want to go ahead and make this a point because we talked about it a little bit off air. It's not just the Dolphins need a receiver. It's that you need guys to fill certain jobs, right? Because, for instance, you know, I put the Z and the slot right here, which I think are two potential needs for this team. They, they could use a more of a burner-type flanker guy, a guy that can play inside and do multiple things. But we look at what the offense was last year and like a guy like Lynn Bowden, for instance, who gets carries out of the backfield, who goes on jet sweep and, and takes the end around that way, and a guy that can kick outside and play out wide even though he is a slot receiver. And so I start there in the slot, and my guy for that position is Curtis Samuel from the Panthers because he's a sub-4-4 four, four guy, and last year he showed you the expansive you know, nature of his ability to do everything on the offense. He carried the ball when Christian McCaffrey was down. He took those jet sweeps. He ran past the defense vertically. He creates separation on simple five-yard curl routes so he was my primary slot option there in free agency. And then in the draft, I went with a guy that, in my opinion, is his clone in Rondell Moore at Purdue because of the exact same things we just talked about. He is explosive as all hell, as all get out. He can get vertical. He can catch the football. He can run the football. So those are my two options for guys that play inside, but not necessarily to say that they're constricted to that slot position. Well, I like Samuel. I, I like the thought of, of him in a Dolphin uniform because he's so dynamic, as you mentioned. It, and it's all about matchups, right? It's all about how you can create uh, a disadvantage for the defense and a favorable matchup on offense. And I think both of those guys do that. Rondell Moore is a guy that can do just a little bit of everything. He, he can go back in the return game. He can, he can be dynamic there. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. You motion him, and it's tough for a defensive back to – to have leverage or keep his leverage because he's so quick and he's really good with his hands in the football in space. He usually makes the first guy miss. So when you take a look at, at that type of player, uh, you have to wonder, okay, if you, if you get either one of those guys, you're in good shape because you've improved 
the slot position. You've improved your offensive uh, explosiveness, that potential on offense. And you, you have to wonder, well, does Alan Hearns come back? Does Albert Wilson come back? Um, those all play into the situation that the Miami Dolphins, I'm sure, are meeting. And, and when they have all these names on the board, they're trying to find out how can we make this, how can we make our quarterback better by getting more explosive players? How can we make our, our, our receiving core better, getting the football in space and making somebody miss? Those guys can do those. They have those traits. And that's exactly why they're on my list. And those guys pair well with my other guys at that Z distinction. And again, they're, I think any player in this football team, putting them in one position is really disingenuous. So we'll give them that classification, but really the idea is they can play multiple spots. And it goes back to my idea of, you know, how do you accentuate Tua's strengths? He's super accurate. He has one of the quickest releases in the game. He gets to his spot quickly because his footwork and his mechanics are sharp in that regard. So how can you accentuate that quick game accuracy? It's creating separation early, getting that release and getting that separation immediately off the line. And that's where you go to that third pick in the draft here, John. And there are so many interesting routes they can go with, whether it's stay there and take a player, whether it's trade back and target someone. Maybe you go after a tight end. We talked about Kyle Pitts, and we'll bring him up here in just one second. But I listed right here. We'll stay in the receiver class for now. Maybe you can expand upon this. I put Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle because to me, you know, we talk about getting separation. That's what these two guys do best. They are so sudden. They get to that position of the release where it's like go time, right? It's time to make a decision whether we're going to cross face, whether we're going to attack outside leverage. And the defensive back has to make a decision whether he's going to flip his hips a certain direction, whether he's going to throw the inside or outside hand jam. And at that moment of decision, these two guys to me are so deadly and they can create that immediate separation. The ball's right on the numbers on that RPO slant or whatever it might be. And we're off to the races. So I have those two guys significantly ahead of the rest of the class at the receiver spot. Well, I'm glad you're thinking receiver at three, Travis, because if we pick an offensive tackle, I might pull all my hair out. And I don't <laughs> want to do that because I think we invested in, in the line last year. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to get a center down the road or another guard or a guy that can play multiple positions up front. But I'd sure like to invest our draft uh, war chest, if you will, on the offensive side of the football and at receiver. You, you get a guy like Smith from Alabama that that is just exceptional. I mean, he's a burner. He can play inside. He can play outside. He can do everything you want. He, he accelerates with the football. He runs away from defenders. And Jalen Waddle might even be faster. I mean, quicker in the box for sure. Uh, can get over the top of you. Uh, maybe not as, as linear uh, as a receiver, as some of the other receivers that are in this draft. But his tape is exceptional. So I, I'm not so sure how the Dolphins are going to treat the third pick just because they're go they need they need firepower on offense. You have to get a wide receiver or two. Uh, I, I see it going any other no other way but at receiver. And, you know, Jamar Chase's his name's been mentioned. We talked a little bit before we started this about Kyle Pitts. I, I wouldn't rule that out because you're talking about getting matchups, favorable matchups, who's going to cover Kosicki on one side and Pitts on the other? Uh, when you have two uh, tall guys on the outside in Williams and Parker. So it, it gives you so, so much flexibility. It gives the Dolphins so much flexibility in this draft because they can go in a number of different ways and still satisfy their needs and what they're looking for to improve the quarterback position by acquiring talent around him. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I just finished my study on Kyle Pitts 
And oh my goodness, I mean, yeah. he is ridiculous. I, I watched the South Carolina game and they put a couple of defensive backs one-on-one against him. He just did what he does against them. Didn't then they matter. go in the second half and they put J.C. Horn, who's probably going to be a top 20 pick this year, and he can't handle him. And we're talking about not just physicality, but a whip route where he's getting out of that break in a second. And so I see a guy that's six foot six, 246 pounds. And to me, that's where the, the Jamar, like, you know, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle kind of in that same category. And by the way, Jalen Waddle caught 21 out of 26 passes that were targeted over 20 yards of the season. Like, what? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah. No, that's, that's his career. That's ridiculous. I don't, I can't even fathom that. So he did that, but back to the, you know, putting the Jamar chase and Kyle Pitts kind of in that same category to me, it's like, well, both these guys win with physicality. They do have the separation skill set. but if we're going to compare these two guys, one guy is six foot six, two forty six. One guy's five foot eleven. So, like, it's not even a comparison to me. And you talk about the matchup aspect of getting Kyle Pitts. I'm sitting here thinking about how does a defensive coordinator change what they do when they have to face Pitts and Gesicki? Because technically, we're in twelve personnel, right? Well, you got to get you, you got to get defensive backs onto the field. Well, can't we run the ball from 12 personnel when you have nickel or dime defense on the field? Doesn't that make that a lot easier? And what if we do have Najee Harris, who also can flex out and go empty out of 12 personnel, and you've got five matchups you'd like? Like, that seems like a big problem for opposing defenses to have to deal with. Well, I, I think that, uh, and to your point, the biggest question mark for the, for the co-offensive coordinators as they're uh, drawing up this offense and what the Miami Dolphins are going to look like in 2021, they're trying to create space. And that's how you do it with matchups. You create space by, you know, putting stress on a defensive coordinator. Am I going to throw a linebacker out there? Am I going to throw a nickel back out there? Am I going to put another corner in the game? And and if you do have a guy like Harris in the backfield, that just gives him more space. And it, and it takes some pressure off of the guys that are going from year one to year two on your offensive line because they, all they have to do is, is use their leverage and create create a lane because you get to the back end of it quicker because there's not that traffic and that massive humanity in between the, the hashes. So I, I, to your point, when you, have, uh, when you have matchups that are to your advantage as an offense and you can create space just by formation and motion, it helps your running game out. Exponentially. Let's say you've got – Two two safeties, two high structure off the off the line, and you've got Najee Harris out there, a two hundred and thirty pound back, and you've got a Curtis Samuel who can run four four. I mean, that seems like a really advantageous spot for your running back to to make some hay in the running game. But the best way to do that is to improve your offensive line. And I put center on the list here. Ted Karras is scheduled to be a free agent. And frankly, John, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. I thought Ted Karras was the best offensive lineman from week one to week 17, the most consistent player up front for the Dolphins this year. But he's scheduled for free agency. And there are some opportunities out there. And I listed a premium resource by here as well with the Packers' Corey Lindsley, who just opens up the playbook because of what he can do from a stretch run aspect, his athletic ability to get out in space and just open up those wide zone runs for you. And then I put Landon Dickerson, who even though he tore an ACL in the, was it the the semifinal playoff game? He tore an ACL, but this guy is like, as far as the mental makeup and the character and the pedigree has Miami Dolphin written all over him. So I put him on there and I also put the option to re-sign Ted Karras. So center a big focus for me here. Well, I, I think that Aaron Rodgers would be mad at you if, if you heard this, <laughs> if, if Lindsay's going somewhere else, because that's a guy that, you know, he's the glue of that offensive line. Now, I know they have really good tackles and they have, you know, a really good, you know, talent up front, but he's the guy that makes everything happen in the middle. And, and, and to Karras's, uh, 
attributes. You know, sometimes if you can line up and play an availability on every snap for the Miami Dolphins last year, that that's a trait that you want to have. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's only going to get better as, as that youth around him grows. I thought Eric Flowers didn't do a bad job beside him on the left side. He missed a couple of games in the middle of the, of the season, but I thought he did a pretty adequate job, you know, coming in in free agency last year. So you're trying to bolster, you're trying to get better. And what's, what's one way to do that is consistency, getting guys that line up at the same spot. And I, I, if I was the Dolphins, I would be looking to re-sign Ted Karras if they can't improve in free agency. If they feel like this guy, he can do the job for us up front, then I would go ahead because you're, you're starting to dip into how much do we need in the draft for, for money available? How much are we going to uh, use a resource at a, maybe a wide receiver in free agency? Or another linebacker now that Kyle Van Noy uh, is rumored to be going, you know, other places. So that you have to kind of plan ahead. And I think Karras kind of fits the bill up front for the Dolphins. It's a great example of how you have to choose where you're going to allocate those resources. Because as we go through this exercise here, I've pretty much already spent them all. I don't know if you guys are keeping track, but I spent all my premium resources. And so we move along here. And, you know, John, I... And this is something I took from Daniel Jeremiah a couple of years ago. He says you should always be drafting and developing offensive linemen. So I put a couple of guys in here that might be in the second to fourth round range. And I picked two guys that I think have traits that match what the Dolphins do on the offensive line. It's Dylan Raddance out of North Dakota State because he plays literally every position. And Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa because he is a monster. And we've seen this team acquire large offensive tackles and hope to kind of develop them that way. So Dylan Raddance out of North Dakota State and Spencer Brown Brown out of Northern Iowa. Your thoughts there and some other names that you might like along the offensive line in that maybe, you know, late first to, to day three type of options. You know, I, I like both of those guys and, and watching Dylan at the senior bowl, I, I thought he was tremendous. I thought he got an opportunity to showcase uh, not only an individual one-on-ones, but when in the game, I, I thought he was really good. And Spencer Brown, it's, you know, tough for me at just maybe under six foot to look around a guy and then try to look again because he's that big, but he fits the mold of what the dolphins did last year in the draft. You know, you get big offensive linemen that you feel like you can grow with and they, they can, that learning curve isn't going to be that long. And, and it wasn't last year for the three guys that were drafted. And I don't think for either one of these guys, even though coming from smaller schools, I don't think the learning curve is going to be that drastic for him. And I think, is it Humphreys from Oklahoma? I don't know where he's going to go. But, but a guy that can play multiple positions, you got to find that guy. I think Jesse Davis, that's one of his assets. If he's, on, if he's not starting at right tackle, if he's not starting at guard, he can also kick in and play center in a pinch. So you have to have a, another guy, another young guy come along that can play multiple positions along that offensive line because you start getting into those numbers and you start getting into how many guys can dress, who's up, who's down. You got to have a guy that can – kind of bounce around that offensive line. So I like your thought process of getting a young guy that can do that, that can not only be a starter potentially, but can play multiple positions. Yeah, that flexibility is everything, right? We've seen it across the league before where teams run out of capable bodies on the offensive line. We've seen what that turns into. It didn't happen to Miami last year. I think at one point, Michael Deere played a few snaps in the game and he played well. And so that's a position where if you can just have competent guys across the line, regardless of what happens with injuries, that's a great position to be. Let's go ahead and pick this up and get to the other side of the football here. John Kinjemi on the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield. On the defensive side, 
Again, I went light over here. I've got three positions, defensive end, defensive tackle, and linebacker. I left the secondary alone, although, of course, the Dolphins, you know, Brian Flores and Josh Boyer, they will bring in defensive backs and turn that thing over and continue to look for gems back there. But back up to the defensive line, at the edge position, I went with Dietrich Wise, who played with Brian Flores and, and the, you know, some of those coaching staff in New England. I just think his inside-outside versatility, his his pass rush ability from a three technique is really special. And then I also put Carlos Basham on here, who might be an early second round. I happen to think he's going to go in the first round because you just don't put 280-pound defensive ends with that type of explosiveness onto the planet and not expect them to have a great NFL career. I think he has Dolphin written all over him as well. So Dietrich Wise, Carlos Basham, defensive end. Do we need to bolster that spot behind Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, and how would you do it? Well, I, I like Wise only because I think that Devon Godchow is not going to be retained by the Dolphins. I, I think he's a terrific player. I just think that you need a, a different type of player uh, that's going to play beside Davis and Sealer and, and Wilkins. I, I think that you've got the same type of uh, physical makeup and, and size makeup and speed makeup with those guys. And I think Wise, as you said, can kind of bounce around, which is good. So you're looking for a guy like that to come in and maybe in free agency to, to come in and fill that bill and is not going to break the bank while you're doing it. And you're going to get total production. You're going to get the type of production and the type of play that Boyer likes and that Coach Flores likes. Basham's a, an interesting uh, guy for me because when you're playing at Wake Forest, you're on TV all the time, no matter where you're playing. But you you notice that that guy flashed all the time. That guy was – anytime you watched a Wake Forest game, this guy was a guy that you had to focus in on because who's going to protect him and where's he lining up and are they chipping to his side? Are they, you know, wh where's he lining up now? Because the guy's explosive off the edge and you're right. I don't know where he's going to get drafted, but I think his stock uh, as over the last month, month and a half, even though he had a terrific season, I think just those, those focused days of practice in mobile, uh, really elevated his draft status. And I, I think that you may be onto something there. I don't know if it gets depressed because of there's so many offensive skill set guys that may go in the first round, quarterbacks going in the first round, but somebody's going to get uh, a player that's going to that's going to flash right away in the National Football League. At one point, he had 23 consecutive games with a tackle for loss, and the second closest in the nation on that streak was 10 games. So he made plays every single week his his career down there at Wake Forest. And you mentioned, you know, Zach Sealer, Raekwon Davis, Christian Wilkins. That's a trio that I've been really talking about a lot this offseason because just how valuable they are, the, the club control and the production versus cost and the youth of that position. I feel great about that spot. But you talked about Devon Godshaw, maybe being a little bit miscast for his role in the defense if they decided not to move on from him. And so that's why I put a couple of monsters on the interior defensive line here. First, Tyler Shelvin out of LSU is like 360 pounds. I mean, that's all. That's my argument. He's a he's a huge guy that can two-gap and hold up the point there for you and create chances for your Jerome Bakers behind him. And then Akeem McNeil is lighter than that. I think he's about 320, but man, he is explosive and he showed plenty of work in two-gapping uh, defenses in college. So interior defensive line, do you need a body? What do you think here, John? Well, I, th I think you do. I, I think they're good. Just as, I think it's the same approach, Travis, as the offensive line. You don't necessarily need to go out in the first and second round and draft a guy there. But I think down the road, you're going to have to do that. And you have to get lucky in free agency, uh, potentially there too, as well as undrafted uh, free agents. I, I think that's some something where 
you're going to have to find a guy or two. You're going to have to find a, a Zach Sealer somewhere along the line because you don't have enough. You have a lot of draft firepower to go out and get the guys you need to plug in that are going to put points on the board. But guys that are going to be in the trenches somewhere along the line, you're going to have to find a bigger body that can, like you said, maybe take on a couple blockers that allows Jerome Baker to make plays. It allows a guy coming down, you know, down from the box at safety to be able to come in and make a tackle for loss. So you need a different body type and you need a different style of play when you need to come in for 12, 14, 18 plays a game. This isn't a, 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 a position that you're, you know, with Shelvin or McNeil, if you happen to get a body type like that, that's going to play 30 or 35 plays. This is a, a specific role on this, on this football team because you're in so much nickel and dime and you're moving around guys along that front seven. This is, this is a, a specific role on the team. And I do think the Dolphins will be in the market for some, a player like that. Yeah, you're not going to spend a premium resource on a 25%, 30% snap count taker. It just that just doesn't add up to you know collective and overall a good idea for the football team. So with you on that, I have one more position here, and I'll go ahead and let you if you've got any defensive backs you want to talk about because I didn't list any here. But at the linebacker spot, I'm thinking about replacing you know, and this was before Kyle the Kyle Van Noy rumor was out there, but I was thinking more about replacing Elandon Roberts, who got injured towards the end of the season, and that kind of you know downhill thumping type of linebacker. I saw two names on the free agency list. One's a familiar face. First, well, I guess both of them are. Denzel Perriman played his college ball here in Miami, and he's an elite two-down run <clears> stuffer. And then I put Rayquan McMillan on the list because he kind of got beat out last year by Landon Roberts. The organization traded him in that contract year, allowed him to go play some more, uh, get some more playing time. So Perriman, McMillan, my two linebacker choices, what say you? Well, you know what, Travis? I was pounding my uh, fist on, on the table because I, I wanted uh, Perryman in his draft year because I just thought that's what the Dolphins' defense needed at the time and, and may still do, you know, with the departure – of Van Noy, you're not sure about a Landon Roberts coming back off the injury. I think that would be a, a pretty natural fit for the Miami Dolphins. And now with McMillan, I don't know the reason, you know, maybe he was beat out. Maybe he didn't fit what the Dolphins wanted to do in terms of uh, acceleration from the position, in terms of overall coverage. But I don't know if they, if they figured that out yet uh, to this day. So he may be back in the mix, a guy like that. I was thinking along the lines of maybe a, a Matt Milano from, from Buffalo because every time Buffalo plays and they have an extraordinary defense, I know where Milano is because I just look, look for the ball and, and he's there. And he makes so many plays in space. He's good in coverage. He tracks down ball carriers. He, he's able to be a thumper around and behind the line of scrimmage. So I, I put his name up there, and I don't know if the Dolphins are going to use. They may use a high resource in free agency uh, now that, you know, linebackers kind of the forefront of the defense, and, and we're not going to really talk defensive backs. So they may use a, a high resource on our Riddick from Arizona. They may go after a, a Levante David from Tampa Bay. I don't know. I, and I, I'm just looking for playmakers. I'm looking for more guys that can make more plays in and behind the line of scrimmage I, I like the idea of Perriman. I like the idea of maybe rolling back, you know, the pages on McMillan. But I, I think they have to find a guy that's proven. They have to find a guy that can mesh well with, uh, mesh well with what they want to do on defense. That's speed. That's playing multiple positions, and that's making plays behind the line of scrimmage. So 
that's the characteristics you're looking for. And Matt Milano checks all those boxes as well. I think I think one of the reasons the Dolphins offense performed so well in week two was because Matt Milano was not out there and Mike Kosicki was able to eat on backup linebackers in his absence out there. So And it weakens a division opponent too. So, hey, sign me up for that. I'm, I'm all for that. I'm on board with that. You're right. <laughs> so I think we did it. I think we fixed the team and we're ready to go into 2021 and compete for a division title. What say you, John? I sure hope so. You know, it was an exciting time last year to watch the Miami Dolphins play competitive football. And we talked, we started the, the podcast today about, you know, where we improved, where we, where we thought we improved, where we can still improve. I think one of the biggest things, uh, discipline was installed on this team by Brian Flores two years ago. And I think it improved because of the talent on the team improved. I think the expectation on the team improved. If that can continue, that at some point that turns into a victory or two that you shouldn't have. You find ways to win by being a, a better team physically, mentally, all those characteristics. But the pre-snap penalties, the, the, the dumb penalties, they're gone. You haven't seen them in, in a couple of seasons. And it's only going to get better under this, this coaching staff. So I, I think that that's where you, if you can get the talent, if you can improve the way the roster went from year one of Brian Flores to year two, and it gets that much better in year three, and you instill that discipline and that continues to grow, this team, this team's on the right path. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that way to close the podcast here, talking about the discipline, the lack of penalties, and a league that we talked about already, two or three plays a game sometimes decide the victor and the loser. So those add up so much. And I'll go ahead and close with this thought that, this team found multiple ways to win football games last year. You continue to add to that tool belt. Maybe we add that explosive element to the offense where when we need to go score 35 points and hit vertical passing plays, we can do that. If we have to win on defense, we can do that. If we have to run for 200 yards against the Patriots last year, we can do that too. So finding multiple ways to win the game. I think we said it all here, John. That's going to do it for me. You got anything else here for me? That's it, man. I, I just, uh, now that I know you play golf, when you come back down, we got to go. I, let's do it. Let's let's book that. I should be down sometime in the spring. We'll find out more. Uh, I, I mentioned before you came on the podcast here, my my wife and I are house shopping right now. So uh, hopefully we'll get that taken care of. We can get down there and have some free time before the craziness starts in August with training camp, John. Well, I look forward to being with you again, uh, you know, after free agency. And as we uh, have the run up to the draft, uh, always enjoy uh uh, sharing our football thoughts. That, that's great. Absolutely. Look forward to working with you more here and getting some some film breakdowns, some football talk, and, and more stuff like that with your Miami Dolphins. John Kinjemi, the co-host of the Audible Podcast. John, thanks as always, my friend. You got it, Travis. And away he goes. How much fun was that podcast breaking down some of the off-season activity we can expect here in the coming weeks and the coming months over the draft and free agency? It should be a lot of fun. As for my time on this double-dip edition of the Drive Time Podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. And until next time, fins up.